You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where I am excited to be coming to you live from a very, very small place. Okay, I'm I'm sorry, I'll stop with the small stuff. Um, But uh, I do have some amazing guests who, in my eyes, are not small at all. And Andy, it's been a while since you've been on the show and I'm really glad to have you back to the 602 Club. Well, you were talking about the MCU, how could I not come? That's true. That is very true. Um, you are uh, one of the, I think, uh, Marvel fangirl. Could, could, we, <laughs> could we say that? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fairly uh. accurate. Although I do like <laughs> DC just as much. I did finish up my Arrow cosplay, so it's awesome. Oh, nice. Spoiler alert. Who are you, uh, which which character are you portraying I'm with your playing cosplay? Green, I'm, I'm, I'm cosplaying Green Arrow. What else? Awesome. It's Femme Green That's Arrow. Cool. It's I actually found a um a hooded a green hooded dress. Um so it's a dress, but it looks exactly like the hood and I have the mask and yep, totally. Go for the hero that or go is home. Legit. Yeah. No, I love it. That's legit right there. So um well so C two E two eat your heart out is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Okay, that's excellent. Well, and uh, back with us from Chicago as well is Mike Schindler. Mike, it's it's definitely great to have you back in the 602. I will come on to talk to you about every single Peyton Reed movie that comes out from now <laughs> yes, until the end yes, of the Yes, you will. And so when you do your Bring well, It On show, Mike will be here. Yes, I will totally be there here you for go. that. Down With Love <laughs> is up next on the 602, right? I really hope so. It's got your, it's got your boy, love. Ewan McGregor. Oh, yeah. It does have you and McGregor, and it has um, Jerry Ryan. Jerry there Ryan, that's right. So, I mean, a little Borg love right there. So, <laughs> how can you go wrong? I remember liking that movie. It's a good so, movie. Awesome. I yeah. always really liked it's been it. A but long time I, since I thought I've seen I was it. the only one who'd ever seen it, but of course, I forgot about Mike. <laughs> Mike has seen everything. Well, and you forgot about my mad love for you and McGregor. So. <laughs> <laughs> that movie just played at the Art Institute of Chicago, the same place which houses uh, really? Night, Nighthawks by Hopper and uh, various other pieces of of uh, of um, various other masterworks of of art, and awesome. it's only fitting that it showcases Peyton Reed's work as well. <laughs> well, there you go. If you guys haven't figured it out yet. The mad love that we do have going on for Peyton Reed right now from Mike Schindler is because we're going to be talking about Marvel's Ant-Man. And nobody better to talk about a Peyton Reed film than the Mike Schindler. I I think we can just start calling you that. The Mike Schindler. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. So I kind of wanted to start with you, Mike, your first impressions about the idea of Ant-Man. Because this was supposed to be an Edgar Wright film, and it had been his baby for a very long time he had written it he was very excited about it we all knew that it was going to have a very special stamp on it if they were going to allow him to do it and then marvel came in and and it just didn't seem to fit with what they wanted and so speak to that a little bit and then kind of them 
choosing Peyton Reed because I know that you're a fanboy actually of both of those guys. Yeah, I mean Edgar Wright, not so much. I mean, you know, I, I do I do love Edgar Wright's stuff. I think he's really good, but I mean there's like, you know, Shaun of the Dead fanatics in there. And I think it's one of those things that happens where like if the people around me didn't have the love for Edgar Wright that they have, then I would probably be like, Yeah, Edgar Wright's the best. But like uh, you know, my co host Max thinks that Shaun of the Dead is essentially like the best movie ever made, like straight up, you know, and it's like, okay, well, let's take that down a notch. So and and he's not the only one of my (laughs) friends who's like that, you know, so this is like one of those weird cases where I'm not the one who's like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. I'm the one who's like, yeah, 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 that's good. But let's just bring it down just a tad and take a look at it. Simma down now. Exactly. Simma down. Simma Donna. Exactly. Right. You know, but I do like all of his movies. And um, certainly when I heard, you know, eight years ago or whatever it was, literally, that he was doing Ant-Man, I was like, oh, that'll be interesting. But you got to remember, this is pre-Iron Man that, that, that he was going to mm, do it. And yeah. then the big question became like, is it going to be part of the MCU? Because everyone, I think everyone still assumed like there's no way. Right. And then they're like, yeah, it is. And then it's like, holy crap, this is going to be the most amazing thing ever. I can't wait. And then it gets on the schedule and everything. And it's like they cast Paul Rudd. They've got Michael Douglas. And it's like, this is going to be amazing. And then May 23rd, 2014, (laughs) it was a Friday, a Friday night. A day was, that will live in MCU infamy. Yeah, it was. It was. They did. They totally did a take out the trash day, like they do, like they talk about on West Wing. <laughs> they totally did that. No, I mean, I'm not even kidding. It's straight up what they did. Friday night. Oh yeah, Edgar Wright's leaving. Bye guys. Have a nice weekend. You know, I mean, that's literally. Yeah. What don't they let did. the door hit you on the way exactly. out, buddy. It was take out the trash day for Marvel. They did the same thing when Josh Trank uh, got fired from uh, um, the Boba Fett movie or whatever. So. Yeah, so that was really depressing. But then again, you know, I mean, the thing that you do, right, is try to imagine who's going to take his place. And for this thing, it's like, you know, who's who's going to have, you know, the guts to step in and say, like, yeah, I'll do that. Because for one thing, I mean, you're probably going to make enemies with Edgar Wright, right? I mean, whether you want to or not. I mean, even though he is, I'm sure, a rational human being and knows that someone's going to have to make this movie. But then also, like, who's going to want to say, like, oh, yeah, I can do this movie that Edgar Wright couldn't do. I'm, you know, and I I mean, you know, you're going to be called a hack and a sellout and all the rest of it. And, you know, I was thinking, like, who would they get? And I rattled off a couple names, I'm sure, on Twitter that day. And then that night... At 12.45 a.m., I remember I was sitting in the Logan Theater waiting for Boogie Nights to start. And I said, no, I've got it. Peyton Reed for Ant-Man. He'd be perfect. And at that point, he became my number one choice. And then two weeks later, he actually got the gig. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because Peyton Reed is amazing and for all the reasons that you know exist in his movies. But the other thing is he is a huge Marvel fanboy. He was developing Fantastic Four back before the Tim Story version came out. And his take on it sounded like it could have been one of the best comic book movies of all time. 
So yeah, I'm I was super excited now. And there was that thing that like but you know, I'd really like to see Edgar Wright's, you know, sort of auteur vision of Ant-Man, but then again, Peyton Reed's a better director than Edgar Wright. Well, that does bring up, I mean, a really interesting question is that in the end, Marvel kind of came in and squashed his idea and it said that just doesn't fit with what we're doing. Um, so artistic vision kind of gave way to the corporate entity. And that's a really interesting thing. And, and, and I think, you know, in some ways it's disappointing because Marvel definitely has a formula for how it does things. And to me, every time I go into a Marvel movie, I know exactly what to expect. And there's nothing unexpected in the movies. Um, and I, I feel like Edgar Wright probably would have brought some things that were unexpected in the same way that, say, when we look at DC and what Snyder is doing, well, he definitely has a directorial vision, and they're letting that director run with it. And so there's two different ways of doing things right now. And I, to me, I just feel like Marvel has to be careful because if you get too formulaic in, in, in the way that you promote, the way you do, the way you craft your films there there isn't that much um there's not enough difference between them when i go see even when i went and saw thor which is kenneth brana and when i go and see captain america there isn't a ton of difference really to me when i'm watching them you know uh one has the fantasy element and one has the historical element but in the end they're both kind of fitting within within a same formula of of the way the film flows and the way the story is told and all that kind of stuff. So does that make sense? Do you, do you all see what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. Um, and, you know, in fact, you know, I, I I do think that that is necessary. What you're talking about is necessary. But the one thing that I will say in Marvel's defense, and I'm usually never defending anything like this, but one of the things that they've sort of done by building this universe is they've essentially um you, you got to look at it more like uh how they they structure a television show you know where each of these are essentially episodes but there's a larger tapestry and you know Kevin Kevin Feig or Feig Feige Feige I don't know Kevin Feige, Feige. I'm, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name and I, and then there's Paul Feig and I get it's too confusing Anyway, um, he's trying to maintain a, a, an overall thing, you know. And and while you do want people like Edgar Wright to be able to express themselves, you also have to make sure that it does fit in with the larger whole. Now, I mean, the thing that that I see here, which I, I imagine happened, which I think is kind of lame, is that Wright's story would have fit in with the larger whole. It just would not have been as connected to it as maybe, um, you know, Feige or Feige or that guy in the studio uh, wanted. <laughs> and, you know, making right sort of like stick extra stuff in just to say like, hey, you know, because it's part of the MCU. I think that that's kind of lame, even though I love those parts of it. But, um yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always going to wish that we we would have seen Edgar Wright's version of Ant Man, but um, 
that doesn't make me not excited to see Peyton Reed's version as well. Well, and it it happened with, let's be honest, Ultron. I mean, the the very same thing you were just talking about of, of a director being made to stick in things that they didn't really want to happened to Joss Whedon, you know, who had already proven himself with Avengers of making, you know, one of the biggest and best comic book movies of all time. And they came to Age of Ultron and they regulated exactly what they wanted to have happen. And in that movie, if he had been allowed to do what he wanted, I think it would have been a much better film as we talked about when we talked about Age of Ultron. Um, and to me, watching that happen in Marvel, I'm I'm kind of personally worried because we're going to get to the point where they're worried so much about the outside of the bigger universe that they're forgetting that you still have to like the movie you're creating like um and and it has to stand enough on its own so it is an actual movie you know it tells its own story and it's not so overconnected that you're getting lost in that and not enjoying the film that we're you know actually there to watch so yeah that's a really it's a big thing um and it'll be interesting because you know, again, we're going to get to kind of watch this play out a little bit with the way that DC is doing things and they're seem to be kind of hiring directors and going with a more artistic vision of the director, but at the same time fitting into the the thread line of the, the larger universe. So we will actually get to kind of watch this play out and see which one ends up being, I don't say better, but it, I don't know. Maybe that that's a good, the only way to put it. Wh- which one actually ends up working better in the end? I don't know. So I do think with with Avengers two, there is sort of a flip side of that, which is Joss Whedon wanted to do Ultron, right? And he's like, "This is a story which interests me. This is what I think would be good for a sequel." And all of that's well and good, but I think that also sort of flew in the face of what they were building. Like, I mean, honestly, I I had this impression even before I saw the movie, but if you look at the larger story, Ultron seems like a sidebar. Like, why all of a sudden are we doing Ultron? I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't seem like the natural progression for that story and and what we've been leading up to since, you know, at the very least, the first Avengers movie. So I think there was partially there... Um, the studio sort of buckling to Whedon's uh, creative demands and saying, like, I'm not going to do this movie just to do this movie. I want to do something which interests me. And this is the story which interests me, even though it may not be the best story for the overall thing. So I think that there's there was two sides there that were kind of at war with each other. And I think that might have been one of the reasons why Age of Ultron isn't as good as it probably should be. And for me, I was thinking that the Age of Ultron story is a great way, kind of the way that they did tell it, to set up the issue that you will have with the next big thing, which is Civil War, and creating that distance between Tony and um, Captain America. You know, I think that was kind of nice. I think it was all the other things they kind of added in with, you know, what's going to come with Thor and Ragnarok and trying to set up phase three with all the different characters and all that kind of stuff you yeah but yeah that's a great great question well andy for you 
your kind of first impressions and thoughts about, hey, there's a new Marvel movie come out. It's called Ant-Man. Um, you know, were, were you excited about uh, this character and, and all that kind of went along with that and, and kind of wrapping up uh, what we know of as, you know, phase two of the Marvel Universe? I thought it was a little bit odd of a choice. Um, it kind of, Just a little bit? Just a little bit. Just a wee bit? Tiny bit. Um, You're I all just... going to hell, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I really did. I thought it was kind of odd because the the timing of it being right after an Avengers movie and then it being a movie for a new character seemed strange to me, especially since you have characters in that have been going throughout the MCU that haven't been explored in their own movie. I mean, the the first one that comes to mind for me is Black Widow because I really want to see a Black Widow movie, but I mean, you do have other characters in the MCU that have not been have not had their own movies yet. And if you're about to move into a new phase of Civil War and then also looking forward to more Avengers, it feels kind of like this would have been a perfect time for a Scarlet Witch movie too, you know? Like we just finished watching Ultron and seeing her and I I just, I thought it was kind of odd, but at the same time, I I mean, I don't have a problem with the idea of an Ant-Man movie and I didn't think, I don't think he's a bad character. I do think it's a a kind of a, a, a hard sell to I call them the normals. They probably don't like that. Um, the kind of people who aren't... The muggles. Yeah, the muggles. Um, basically, like, I have a coworker in my office who's a great guy, I and he is as anti-geek, not to say he doesn't like geeks. He's, like, the opposite of a geek, I should say. Um, and so I always use him to gauge, like, what the general public is feeling, and I was like, so, you've seen some of the other Ant-Man... Or, not Ant-Man... You've seen some of the other Marvel movies, like, um, so what do you think about Ant-Man? He was like, what is Ant-Man? And then I'm, like, explaining the concept to him in his face. <laughs> it's so great. Because, first of all, the title. And then he's like, what's his power? And I'm like, he gets really small. And his face was so great. And I was just like. Oh, and he controls yeah, ants. Yeah, I'm like, and with his mind, you know, ants. And he's just looking at me and his face is just so perfect. And I'm like, hmm. This might be a hard sell to the general public. Um, and it's it's kind of a, I think it's a hard power to really conceptualize on screen. Um, so I thought it was interesting that they, they went with this. Um, I think it ended up working. But I, I don't want to, like, pit the movies and the heroes against each other, you know? Like, I don't want to say, like... I, I needed a Wasp movie or I needed a Scarlet Witch movie or even a Hawkeye movie, although I don't really need a Hawkeye movie. Like, just, it just seemed like odd placement, I guess, in the universe. Well, let, let's be completely honest here. I mean, the only reason why an Ant-Man movie exists is because of Edgar Wright. You know, Marvel sits down with Edgar Wright and says, you're one of the top filmmakers in the world. What do you want to do? And he says, I want to do Ant-Man because he's weird and crazy and cool and it'll be funny. And they're like, whatever, you're Edgar Wright. No one else is going to be making an Ant-Man movie. If you want to make an Ant-Man movie, you go right ahead. And then the MCU becomes the MCU. And all of a sudden, Ant-Man is going to be a movie in the MCU. And then Edgar Wright leaves. But you've already got a release date for next summer. And there's no turning back now. But I guarantee you, 100%, 
had Edgar not, Edgar Wright not said, I want to make an Ant-Man movie, we would have never seen an Ant-Man movie, at least not until like phase seven, you know? <laughs> We're bringing our grandchildren to the, the new Ant-Man movie. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the problem. I think you just hit it on the nail on the head with the juggernaut and kind of doing what they do is they put the cart before the horse and they tell everybody, hey, there's an Ant-Man movie coming. You know, and then they have to live up to that instead of eat it and say, oh, we're taking that off the schedule. <laughs> you know, so um, I think there is a real downside to doing it this way sometimes because you lose, one, the spontaneity, but you also lose the ability to make sure that as the studio, you're completely secure with the product you're hopefully going to be putting out. Um so there, there's and there's pluses and minuses on both sides. So I'm not saying it's like I'm just saying that is you just nailed it. I think the downside of doing it this way. There's a guy on Twitter. I forget exactly who it was, but I want to say it's the guy who was like the producer on the guest. Um, and he was talking about this this sort of like philosophy. What, what you're talking about here and the idea that you know studios have planned it out so that now there are movies which are scheduled to come out in like 2021. And he's like, right. He's like, (laughs) no studio head is going to be running that studio by that time, you know? And then he, he said, let's take a look at that. Okay. That's seven years. Let's go back to 2008 and see where we were at. Like Joss Whedon's highest grossing movie. His only movie was Serenity. Um, Colin Trevorrow had not yet made a movie. And yet these people already have release dates for 2021 like how do you possibly know what is going to be a good movie to make at that time seven years down the road it's crazy you know yeah i i completely and am with you well and the same thing i you know i never i'm not a the biggest marvel fanboy i haven't read a lot of their comics or anything like that so ant-man was a new character to me and and i'm with you andy and the guy you're talking to like okay ant-man and he talks to bugs and he gets really small like the atom which i you know i know from dc and and okay this is this is weird and and just the whole idea of it and honestly to me if any movie I thought might truly fail in the MCU, it was going to be Ant-Man, especially with just all the problems that they had been having behind screen with, you know, uh, going with somebody different other than Edgar Wright, um, you know, bringing in Peyton Reed, all of those kind of things. I felt like, oh, this this could just be an unmitigated disaster for them. And... So I, you know, going into it, I just, I didn't have any expectations whatsoever. Um, the only expectation I had was I like Paul Rudd and I like Evangeline Lilly and, and Michael Douglas is cool. And I know Corey Stahl from House of Cards and he's, he's good at being, uh, you know, kind of a crazy, somewhat maybe likable bad guy, you know, so, uh, this, this could be good just because of the casting, but the storyline, I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I not, I'm not sold on this. So I'll watch the movie and I'll just judge it on on that merit. Uh, bef- which is kind of nice because you know most of the time you go into these big movies like this and you're like, oh well, it's the new Superman movie and this is I have a bunch of expectations. Well, I didn't have any expectations of Ant Man other than 
it may or may not be good. Let's see what happens. So, um, and I think that was to me, <laughs> it was kind of refreshing. Like, huh, I don't really know a ton about this. Entertain me, Marvel. Show me something awesome. And uh, so that was pr- that was pretty nice. Well, this, Andy, you said it earlier, and I, I think you're right on. So we just had Age of Ultron, this big crossover with all your main Marvel characters with the Avengers. We're wrapping up Phase 2, and we tell a smaller story with, um, you know, introducing a new character to us. This isn't, like, as earth-shattering or, like, the world's not going to probably end. But bad things could happen if the bad guy gets away with his plan. You know, it, we, we tell a much smaller movie. And, and to me, this kind of felt like Iron Man's little brother. You know, like, the storyline to me is, it was like Iron Man 2.0. It's very, very similar. So I kind of wanted to ask you guys what you thought of just the storyline itself and introducing, you know, this new character to the world for, like you said, Andy, for the most part, a lot of people don't know who Ant-Man is unless you're a real avid comic book reader. Yeah, I mean, I think they did something which was smart, which is they're introducing a new character. They focus on that character and that character's universe foremost, which is good um, because we have no sense of who this guy is, um, which at this point in Marvel is kind of rare. <laughs> I mean, we have we have characters that are, are spanning movies and TV shows at this point, so to come out with a, a new character is a bit of a risk, but I think they did a good job of focusing the story specifically on a handful of people and making it really about family relationships, um, and, and I think that was a, a good move and it made the, the storyline pretty contained, which, you know, I mean, I love Marvel and I really love the sprawling universe. Um, I mean, I'm the kind of person that likes to sit down and watch through the whole thing and see how all the pieces fit together in this intricate puzzle, but you do have to make sure that your movie is understandable from beginning to end without you know, having to see everything else. And in that, I think they really, really succeeded and made a a very fun movie about these specific characters. And, you know, it fits with the rest of everything else, but it doesn't depend on it, which is good. I I, I think it was refreshing to see, you know, something on a much smaller scale. I mean, you you hear about, you know, the idea of spectacle creep and, and whatnot. And, and each story having to be about uh, the end of the world. And, you know, I mean, this is something that they've talked about a lot, you know, and everything. And, and I think that it's kind of cool that um, from from the very beginning, you know, Wright and Cornish had the idea of having the the big finale of this movie, this this action movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe take place inside a little girl's bedroom. And that is kind of brilliant, you know, just to bring it down to, and I mean, you've got to look at it. It's like, yeah, he's this is a guy and here are his powers. But you also just have to think about that sort of like thematically and what it means. And there are all sorts of, of things that that says about this character, you know, him getting smaller and, and things that it says about the story, you know. I mean, that's like sort of what, you know, the, the Matheson book was about and everything. And and I think that it makes sense to to touch on those themes here. And to make it a smaller scale in terms of storytelling 
to kind of uh, fit in with the the superpowers and, and make it sort of a reflection of of that. So yeah, I, I was I was a fan of this being uh, a smaller scale Marvel movie for sure. Well, and does for you guys does it feel like it's a fresh take on on a, the introduction story, the origin story? Or does it feel formulaic because? You know, again, with especially with Iron Man, we've seen the likable rogue, the the likable jackass go clean. You know, uh, become the hero, and in a lot of ways, that's kind of Paul Rudd's character. He's not quite as much of a jerk as a Tony Stark, but you know, he's a he's a smart assy guy. And um, so, did it feel? different enough did it differentiate itself enough for you guys from all the different origin stories that we've seen you know from iron man to thor um to you know now ant-man um trying to think of if there's anybody else you know captain america he's always a nice guy so but yeah especially you know we've seen this with iron man and well thor. you can say guardians of the galaxy yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt. I mean, we just kind of did this too, again, with, with Star-Lord. So, you know, that's a bunch of, of guys all kind of fitting into the exact same mold and the kind of the exact same hero arc throughout the entire film. I don't know. Does it work for you, I Andy? would say that Scott and and Tony are pretty different characters and they kind of come at things differently. I mean, you can have, like, this whole idea of... I mean, it's a, it's really, it's about growth. It's about taking a character that has problems and flaws and becoming a better person. You can say that about lots of movies. Um, I, I mean, I see the parallels you're kind of drawing, but I have to say, like, I feel like Tony Stark is mostly alone. He really only has, like, a handful of people he counts on. This movie and Scott himself are v- much more collaborative. They're much more of a team. I mean, the movie itself... It's about Scott, but it's also very much about Hank and Hope. I would almost say that the three of them like kind of share the the arc of the story. And I mean, Scott's issues with his family kind of rebounding on Hank and and Hope's relationship and like them all working together is is different. I would say it has more in line with Star-Lord than than Iron Man, but no, it worked for me just fine. Um I mean, I would have liked, I I, I do think that it was kind of interesting that throughout the first half of the movie, it was kind of like, do we need Scott? (laughs) I mean, they actually like asked that question. They're like, why, why can't Hope wear the suit and be the hero? And I don't know. Um, I, I, I found that kind of interesting that they, the movie actually has like specific scenes and where they're like, this guy, really? Why? Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't have minded to have, say, a Wasp movie. Um, kind of a different different take on things. Because it is true that Marvel has kind of gotten their, their formula down to science. And I, I don't think that a formula is necessarily a bad thing. I feel like all of our stories at this point fit a lot of different kind of archetypes. And you can tell a story that has, like, the same basic structure and still make it amazing depending on how fresh you make the characters and how much we care about them so to me that doesn't bother me so much um personally i think it worked i think it's it it, i think scott is a good addition to our kind of superhero universe here and um i don't think it felt 
the same as the others, I guess. I, I mean, you know, the, one of the issues that 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 they they're running into is the source material and the fact that you know a lot of these stories mm-hmm. are, are yeah. similar, you know, to begin with, and that's just sort of the nature, I, I think, of of the medium and, and that kind of thing. You know, I mean, these are like sort of like all archetypal characters to some degree or another. And um, it becomes sort of a case of of creating variations on a theme. And I think that that they do a good job with that most of the time. Um, And I think that they they did a good job with it here for sure. Um, You know, it's it is kind of interesting how it's different from Tony Stark in that, you know, like Tony Stark is... While while maybe not necessarily the most likable person in the world, he is considered to be like an upstanding citizen, and yet uh, the things that he's doing, you know, usually for the government, are you know kind of despicable and terrible, and you know maybe he's actually really a, a really terrible person. Whereas Scott, while going to jail um, for stealing and whatnot, is really has has kind of a a a a better take on 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 humanity and society than Tony does. He's doing it for specific reasons. Like even I mean I don't know if they touch on this so much in the movie but in those little like uh news videos that they did did you guys see those that they yeah mm-hmm. and, and yep. you know it he says and I mean who knows what's true but he says like, oh, I'm stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Essentially, like these guys cheated all of the all of the the regular people, and I'm giving that money back, minus a finder's fee or whatever, you know, um, minus a service charge. I think he said. So it's like, yeah, he's not completely selfless, but at the same time, you know, he's not maybe the monster that Tony Stark realizes he is in the first half of that movie. So it's kind of interesting to see, but that's obviously not how society sees Scott. You know, society sees Scott as, you know, a criminal. So I think that that's kind of interesting. And the idea that, like you were saying, um, Tony is alone, you know, and and it's sort of about him becoming a part of society, whereas here, you know, Scott is doing what he's doing for his daughter, you know. So I think that's kind of interesting. I like that you bring that up because it kind of goes to like legality doesn't equal morality all of the time. Um, I think that's that's really an interesting comment, Mike. Thank you. I didn't think of it like that, but I think that that's really astute. Um, I did enjoy the kind of scenes we see where we see how hard we make it for people who want to do the right thing have made mistakes in their past and we make it so hard for them to kind of redeem themselves. Like nobody will give him a chance. Um, and I think that's kind of sad and you know what? It wasn't a huge part of the movie, but I did enjoy that that kind of element was there, especially in the beginning. The, the, the other thing, sorry, just one more thing that sort of differentiates this from other stories like it is that it's not a case of like, like Iron Man, where he's like, I'm going to create the suit and become the Iron Man, or I'm going to take the serum and become, you know, it's like this, there already was an Ant-Man, you know, and you're just filling mm-hmm. in for yeah. me because I'm old, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I, I, I like that. I like the idea that there is like a history behind it that we haven't seen. And, you know, I mean, I guess they have done that in, in some movies before, but um, I, I, I do think that that's kind of a cool take on it. I know that I like I was talking to some I was standing in line for Man from Uncle and some guy was talking to me about it, spoiling the movie for everyone else standing in line with us. 
and he's like, "What well, I wish they would have gone with, you know, Hank Pym as." And I'm like, "No, that doesn't." I mean, yes, okay, I understand the continuity and the what have you and whatever. I'm perfectly fine skipping over the Hank Pym stuff and going straight to Scott Lang because that's a different take on things. That being said, I'd love to see a Hank Pym prequel. That would be awesome. Yeah, yeah, that it was cool that there was a whole backstory to things and that, you know, there was a superhero out there, you know, before Iron Man came on the scene. Um and, you know, uh, there was somebody kind of in between Captain America and Iron Man. Um, I, I think that's a really cool thought uh, for sure. Uh, I like that a lot. And it wasn't just, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. It was it was this guy who had these superpowers that he had figured and out. Wasp. So I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah. So very, very nice. And you're right. It would have been, you know, you could almost have done the Ant-Man story just like they did the captain america story where you had the you know the one in history and then you would have told this one next for ant-man 2 i don't know if that might not have even been more exciting um to me personally but for me i I think it borders a little bit more between fresh and formulaic for me um than for you guys uh i think i enjoy it because of the actors that are in the roles and what they bring to it. I think they, to me, they completely make this movie without them. I think it would have just been a formulaic film. They push it over the edge and and that's why you get good actors to play these kind of roles. So, um, real quickly, I thought it was very interesting that, um, this movie does start out in a way that if you don't know the rest of the MCU, you would be kind of screwed. Uh, because they start off with the shield part and if you you haven't been watching at least the movies you would have no idea really what's going on because they don't do a good enough job i didn't think to explain them dropping you into shield with those characters and even really explaining who's talking you know i mean i think maybe they could have done a better job of explaining what shield is but as far as the characters in the scene it's like while we all know who they are, like they might they may as well just be people talking. Like I watched the movie with uh, my friend Brandon, who knows way more about Marvel than than I do, you know. And it, we it, we got like halfway through the scene, and he's like, "Oh, that's Peggy Carter," and I'm like, "Yeah." And it, it like it didn't even matter really. It's just that you know these people are are giving this information. And the fact that that we know who they are, I think, adds to it. But I I don't think that that was necessary for this particular story. Yeah, it felt like a pretty straightforward exposition scene. I mean, if you knew who they were, cool. If you didn't, I I don't know if you needed to. But, I mean, I knew who they were, so what did I know? Um, I mean, I I thought it was just a pretty... I thought that was more of a setup for who Hank Pym was rather than who everybody else was. Like, you see right from the very beginning that he has a strong sense of honor and that he is a bit rebellious and he will punch you in the face if he thinks it's necessary. And uh, that's a good introduction to that character. It, It gave me a sense of who he was right off the bat. I wanted to ask you specifically, Andy, because we had talked about this, uh, on the other side of the glass or whatever we call it here on the 602 club. Um, 
but about the idea of it there being a wasp story and the wasp story that we get in the film and um yeah what did you end up thinking about that especially since they do bring up the fact that she could have yeah i just for the most part i found it really weird because marvel already and i don't even know if maybe they included this because marvel has been getting so much crap for having 12 movies all about white dudes um but like they they like bring up the fact that maybe they don't need scott <laughs> like within the movie itself it's like hope's there she's got the skills she doesn't need to be trained she understands the mission completely and yet they spend you know a, a good chunk of the movie teaching scott how to harness his powers and i i, I think that they tried to explain that as you know hank is still uh, suffering a lot of grief over Janet and, you know, original Wasp, you know, losing her and he doesn't want to lose hope in the same way. And I kind of understand that. I just, I I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, you could have had a more streamlined story if you had just made it about hope instead and made it a Wasp movie. Um, So it was kind of weird that they kind of buried her in in this other movie when it seems like there was plenty of material and she has plenty of the skills to be the star of her own movie. And then we get the tag at the end that makes it seem like, yeah, we're going to see Wasp. And that's awesome and I'm really excited. But she has this line that's like, it's about time or something. And I'm like thinking, yeah, I mean, we could why couldn't we have seen that in the movie that would have been cool like i just found it kind of weird not that so much that they sidelined her but that they brought up the fact that they sidelined her i just thought it was kind of interesting that they incorporate that in the narrative well i mean i i think that there's two things going on there one you know it's like edgar wright wants to do an ant-man movie right so he's not thinking about the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that doesn't exist or who has gotten their due or who hasn't. He's just like, I want to do this obscure character. And he happens to be a guy, a white guy. And that's, you know, that is what it is. But then, you know, when Adam McKay and Paul Rudd and Peyton Reed are coming in, they're at this point certainly aware of what's going on. And yet they're at a point, you know, they can't say like, Ant-Man. Oh, no, wait, we're changing the title to Wasp and it's going to be about, you know, this person instead. You know, I mean, it's still going to be an Ant-Man movie. You know, it has to be an Ant-Man movie and there's nothing that they can do about it. So they can bring up the fact that it is weird and that that's what they're doing. And I mean, I think one of the things that Peyton Reed has said, because he has pretty much gone on record and said, like, well, this is the stuff that was Edgar Wright's and this is the stuff that we brought to the table. And one of the things that they brought to the table was that credit cookie and sort of the idea of Wasp playing a bigger role. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that, that like Edgar Wright's version didn't have very much of Wasp and it was Peyton Reed that brought more of her in. Um, So it looks like we got more of her than we could have, which is awesome. I just, I found it interesting. It, It just, it's a little, it's like having whole conversations about Scott being expendable. I, I, I think it, it, it ends up working and I understand it's Ant-Man. It, it can't be, you know, they're not going to change on a dime and call it Wasp. I think what they could do though, is instead of making an Ant-Man too, they make a Wasp movie and have it a, a story about Scott and Hope together. And that could very well be what they do. I, I mean, right so. now pretty much anything is on the table, you know, and they've said like, you know, Peyton Reed has said, like, I'd love to do a prequel. I'd love to do a sequel. 
I mean, they've been talking about Wasp quite a bit, right? So, I mean, instead of saying that she's going to play an integral role in Phase 3 and all this stuff. So, I mean, I think at this point, like, who knows? I mean, they very well could. That Maybe would be we'll awesome. I would love that. Because I really yeah. enjoyed her character and I really enjoyed Evangeline Lilly and I would have loved to see a bit more of her and I would love to see more of her in the future. I think I think she was she was pretty awesome. I I was thinking about this as you had mentioned it, Andy, and my thought was why don't you make this a joint movie? Like, okay, we have Wasp, but we need another guy. You know, like we we have we have hope, but we actually need somebody else as a part of the story so that's why we go get scott you know so it's not we're not even going to sideline her we're just going to we're going to say well we need somebody else we need somebody to become the ant man as well yeah i mean i think we could do it together well to have her have her like get the suit earlier and like have them be a team but i mean maybe that would have been not streamlined enough i don't know uh yeah yeah I don't know. I just that was just my thought as you were talking. I was like, I feel like this is an easy yeah, fix. It it feels and you just find a way to tell the story where they just they literally need another guy. Like Scott is integral to the the you know, like it has to you know her dad's been watching and she's he's found this guy and so we we use him because he's gonna be the one that's gonna have the skills necessary to complement what Hope needs to do. You know, like just seems like to me that's a that's a great then like it's it's a cool buddy cop. Yeah, film I mean they could have been with, partners. With those two doing it together. Yeah, partners, exactly. And you know, so that's I, what they, I don't know. they they set up that Hank and Janet were were a team, right? And I think it mm-hmm. worked really yeah, well. I think exactly. it's cool. Um I don't know. I mean, I, I think it ended up working okay in the fact that I, I do feel like they gave Hope an important role. And I do feel like, you know, she was very important and not just a love interest. You know, she was she was important to the theme. She was important to the, the, the arc of the characters. She had her own important arc. I think all of that was great. I just, it, it seemed weird to me. Like, she has all of these skills. Like, she's teaching Scott how to punch <sighs> yeah, I, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that it would have worked if they would have said, like, we've got Wasp and now we need another guy, like some other random guy. Like, I don't think that that really would have worked for this story, but I do have to say that I went into this movie fully expecting that in the climax of the movie, you know, she was going to put on the suit and then there would be two of them. You know, I mean, I just thought for sure that's going to happen. And when it didn't happen... I was actually kind of shocked. I was, like when the movie ended and we hadn't seen her in the suit, I was like, "Wow, that's actually really surprising." Yeah, especially since they they years. really they were they were making such a big deal about Scott's taking over for Hank, and then they had yeah. this flashback to to Hank and Janet kicking ass together, and Janet mm-hmm. being so awesome, and then. You know, it felt very much like, okay, Scott's going to take over for Hank and obviously Hope will take over for Janet and this is going to be great. But, you know, they they saved it for 30 seconds mid-credit scene. And she doesn't even get to put on the suit like he's making her the suit. And I guess it makes sense in a story perspective from the the point that Hank is working through this grief throughout the movie. And it's kind of like at the end of the movie, he's let go of this baggage and like realized that Hope is strong and capable and 
completely capable of making the choice to be a hero and like letting all of that go and letting her her you know be herself um but i just kind of wish it had happened earlier because i feel like it it could have been a really cool you know thematic wrap-up within the movie itself and she could have even sang let it go (laughs) but she didn't so um, well, I wanted to ask you guys because uh, we've talked a lot about these these actors um, playing these characters, and we have these four main people. We got Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Corey Stahl, and, and Michael Douglas filling these roles. And I wanted to just kind of ask you what you thought of them and, and um, how they played these roles. I thought they were all great. I have to th- uh, throw a shout out to Michael Pena for being amazing in this movie (laughs) um i mean i was watching this in the theater and people were just completely responding to Luis in like such a special way like they'd start to laugh before he'd start to talk like that's how funny he was and i just i really was impressed with him i don't think like hollywood has given him very many chances to shine it was really cool to see this incredibly comedic side of him um so I think all four of the people you just mentioned were, are, were great, and I really liked them, but I, I want to make sure we don't forget to throw a shout-out his way because he really did have some of the most funny and enjoyable moments in that movie. Yeah, I mean, I thought everyone was good. I mean, Paul Rudd is good in everything, you know, and, and Michael Douglas, uh, he has such a such an amazing presence. I mean, there's a reason why that guy is one of the biggest movie stars of all time, and uh, it was great seeing the two of them. Um, and you know, everyone else was, was decent as well, you know? So, Hey, you know, I, I loved the actors in this movie. I, I've been a huge Evangeline Lilly fan since she was on lost. I mean, I don't know who didn't fall in love with Kate, uh, in that show. And so I've followed her career. I've really enjoyed her in, in the Hobbit films. I'm glad to she's here. I think she does a magnificent job with this character of, of playing a strong woman who can also fall in love and everybody's not going to be like, oh, she's just the love interest. You know, like I, I really, really like her in this film. And as we argued, Andy, I just wish they had given her an even bigger part with playing Wasp actually in the movie. So I, I thought she was just fantastic. Um, and then Paul Rudd, you're right, Mike, it, can this guy do anything really bad? I mean, even if the movie sucks that he's in, he doesn't. I mean, he he's He's phenomenal. always charming So and always likable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I loved him in the movie. Uh, Corey Stahl, I thought, was... was he doesn't get a ton to do. He's very formulaic bad guy. He's very mustache twirling bad guy um, from the beginning and has all the same issues that many bad guys do. Oh, I was not given my opportunity and so I'm going to turn on the rest of the world. You know, um, there's it's the Marvel problem. The bad guy is not really all that exciting. Um, and they've had that problem for a long time for a lot of their films. Um, but uh, and then, like you said, Mike, too, Michael Douglas, man. He was outstanding. Um, I I can't imagine anybody really pulling off, especially the emotional scenes he had where he was telling the story about Janet, and, and that whole scene there was just brilliant. So I was, 
I was very pleased. And to me, without them playing these roles, I don't think this movie works half as well as it does. I, I really think that they take the material and they they give it just an amazing life. Um, because, it, again, I, I kind of feel like the film's very formulaic, but they sell it to me. I love it. And um, I do have a question, uh, Andy. Can we please stop, uh, you know, putting Judy Greer in the mom yeah, zone? Yeah, I was, I was, um, I, I saw that you had that on our notes. I was like, hmm, when I think of Judy Greer, actually, the first thing I think of is uh, Arrested Development. <laughs> and that's decidedly not yes. a model. <laughs> My eyes are up here, Michael. <laughs> Say goodbye to these, Michael. <laughs> Um, but then the other thing I think of is I feel like she's way more typecast as best friend in romance movie but um, yeah like in 27 dresses see I mean I mean this is the thing that I I see with Judy Greer I mean I know that she's in all those things right but to me that is Judy Greer earning the big fat paychecks so that she can do stuff like Arrested Development that no one's going to see and where she's going to actually shine and, and get noticed. I mean, that's, I mean, you see, you see a lot of people with that, but I mean, that's all like every time I see Judy Greer in a movie like this or Jurassic World or whatever, I'm always like, oh, good for her. <laughs> she deserves that money, you know? I can't. I can't. I can't wait to see her in oh, the, her Judy next. Oh, good. Judy Greer is going to be able to put food on the table for really a year, good. and you know, focus on being quirky yeah. and awesome. There and you go. Amazing comic actress. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Crispin Glover has talked about how you know he's like, yes, I was in Beowulf. I worked with Robert Zemeckis again because he paid me a ton of money, and I was able to finance my crazy art film, which you know. But whatever, uh, you know, Crispin so it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what Charlie's do, Angels you know? too. one for you, one for them. <laughs> Absolutely. Which he, I mean, he's he talked about, it. he's like, I don't, you know, movie. you know, but he's like that, that creepy thin man, <laughs> creepy thin man. That was the name of his character is creepy thin man, which by the way, Charlie's Angels is a freaking masterpiece. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it, check that movie out. <laughs> and Crispin Glover is amazing in that movie even if he hasn't seen it, which he probably hasn't. But it allowed him to make, uh, what is it? <laughs> That's the name of the movie. What is it? I, I don't know. What, what is it? <laughs> I have no idea what it is, <laughs> but I can tell you that uh, it is Didn't freaky he also do and it will give you nightmares. controls uh, rats? That, well, that was, uh, what's it called? That was um, the remake. Uh, what's it called? It's a remake of a movie. It's very famous. I had the poster hanging on the wall at work for years. Uh, ben, no, Ben was the sequel, uh, which was about the rat. Ben, uh, w- w- uh, w- something with a W. Come on. It's an amazing movie. Yeah, he's friends with rats. <laughs> I love he's that we've gone from guy. Judy Greer to it, the Will, rat guy. The, so he's the rat king? Uh, Will, Wilfred, yeah, the rat Wilfred king. Wilson... Will, Wilson, Winifred, Will, you, Mike must know or he'll die. Oh my God! I am Willard. Willard, Willard, Willard. Okay. Yes, <laughs> yeah. which is I'm leaving all that in. Oh, well, you way, should, Mike, and so. you know what? You should go see Willard because even though it's not tremendously great, well, Crispin Glover is great in it, and it's crazy. Well, one of the things that I did want to talk about real quickly um, was you know what I liked that this movie. You touched on it earlier, Andy. It has some some pretty nice themes in it. The the big themes I've kind of really found were you know redemption 
of this character and what it takes for somebody like that to find the redemption. And, you know, the idea of what we do and why we do it, that we're trying to create a better future. I love that Hank says, we're not trying to create a better future for ourselves, but for our kids. You know, that's why we do what we do. We're trying to give them a better world. And I love both of those things, you know, like the the idea that we don't just live for ourselves. We're we're living for what we're going to pass on to the next generation and the idea of of, you know, redemption. You know, we're all looking for redemption in some way. And what I loved is that, you know, most of the time, if not all the time, when you're looking for redemption, you need somebody to believe in you, you know, and to be there for you and. I thought that this movie had some, you know, it, it it's silly. A guy shrinks to really small size, you know, and he can talk to ants. But at the same time, it had some great themes that, you know, um, to me, that's what makes movies worth watching. Not just spectacle or whatever. It's it's what resonates thematically. To me, it was mostly about parenthood. That you can take with you. It's like Scott as a father and Hank as a father and... You know, because Hank becomes a father figure to three different people in this movie. I mean, um, Yellow Jacket's, like, whole weird obsession with him as a father figure is basically the characterization they give us to make us believe that he could become so evil. Um, And then, like, his relationship with Hope and, you know, them mending their relationship and coming to terms with each other is really... a a beautiful kind of like thematic arc that they have throughout the movie and really mirrors what Scott and Cassie are, are doing, you know, and uh, to me, it's just very much about who can be a parent. And then we also have, I don't remember his name, Bobby Cannavale's character. um, Basically Cassie's soon to be stepdad and like him playing a role as a parent as well. And, you know, Scott and him coming to terms with each other and accepting each other for, you know, the roles that they're going to have in raising this this young girl. Um, so I really I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, it's something I haven't seen too terribly much in a comic book he- hero movie, although they all seem to have daddy issues. And mommy issues, to be fair. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> if you're going to be a comic book hero... Um, we're going to need you to have daddy <laughs> issues or parental issues of some kind. You know, you've lost your parents. Your parents sent you away in a rocket ship. Um, they were killed right in front of you. They were horrible to you. Uh, yeah, so some sort of parental issues are going to drive you Absolutely. to put on a wacky suit. I feel like it's a, a must-have in an origin story these days. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I think is interesting about, you know, this, the kind of basic story and the story of redemption or whatever you want to call it is it is – Something which thematically, in one way or another, seems to keep on manifesting itself throughout Peyton Reed's career, you know? If you look at Bring It On, it's basically the same storyline, you know? It's like these people are... It's it's people trying to take the easy way out and then realizing that you actually need to put in the work in order to truly succeed and uh, find fulfillment. And even if you don't succeed, like you're saying the next generation will learn from your mistakes or whatever. You know, I mean, this is exactly what Bring It On is all about. You know, they're the champions because they've been stealing routines. And once they realize that that's not the thing to do, after trying to get away with it and failing miserably, they put in the work, 
to be the best because if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And they don't win. Spoilers. Spoilers. For Bring It On, sorry. They come in second. But what they're doing is they're setting up the next class to come in and do their thing. And then you see it again in Down With Love in terms of like how to be in a relationship or whatever. You know, um, Ewan McGregor's character, he's the womanizer. He's the guy who, you know, he all the ladies love him and he can get with any lady he wants and he's going to prove it and blah, blah, blah. And what he's missing is love, right? And then he finds love and he realizes that what he's been doing, the easy thing, is not nearly as fulfilling as, you know, putting in the work, doing it the right way, right? And here we see the same thing. You know, he's a criminal. He's trying to take care of his daughter by stealing. And then when he realizes that he needs to actually be legit, he succeeds as being a parent. I'm not sure how the breakup falls into that, but, you know, or yes, man, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, yes, man. Yeah, for sure. Yes, man. Right. That's the whole thing. It's in the freaking title. Now, the so, listeners yeah. can't okay. see Mike's face. Anyway. But there was a twinkle the whole time that he got to chance to tell you all about Bring It On because um, he likes to talk about Bring It On. It's the best. It's a, it, it's special. It <laughs> Bring is. It On <laughs> is the poo, So take yeah. a big whiff. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, for you guys, uh, you know, phase two is is ended now, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, what you thought of phase two. We had Iron Man 3, uh, Thor the Dark World, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers Age of, Age of Ultron, and then, of course, Ant-Man. And um, how do you think that, for you, phase two stacked up kind of against what we had uh, in phase one, which was, you know, Iron Man, Hulk... <laughs> or excuse me, the Incredible Hulk, not just Hulk. Uh, Captain America, Thor, Iron Man Two, Iron Man Two, and then of course uh, Avengers. Well, uh, Phase Two has my two favorite movies from the MCU. In uh, Winter Soldier is like my favorite by a million, and then I also uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is my second favorite. So I have to say that their Phase Two was pretty successful for me. Um, and I'm excited to see where they're going to be taking this. As for where Ant-Man falls in, um, I haven't fully decided my new ranking of the Marvel movies, but I'd say that Ant-Man's going to come in at about five or six, um, a little bit after Iron Man, um, but bef- before a lot of the the other MCU stuff. So Phase 2 ended up being pretty good, I would say. I would agree with your assessment of the movies in Phase 2. I think that, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is uh, the best of all of them, and I think Winter Soldier is right up there with it. I could see Winter Soldier overtaking Guardians on a few repeated viewings. And on the whole, I think if you were to look at the quality of the movies in Phase 2 versus the quality of the movies in Phase 1, Phase 2 is a substantial improvement over Phase 1. However, if you were to look at the two phases as cohesive wholes, I think that phase one works much better as a unit than phase two works. Phase one was building towards something. Phase one had an actual you know, ending and everything like that. And I think that it really has a nice structure to it. Whereas phase two is really kind of scattershot. They didn't really know what they were doing. They didn't have a beginning, they didn't have an ending, and I didn't really see much point to it as a phase aside from it being 
sort of what I think will be uh, bridging the gap between Phase 1 and Phase 3. So uh, while Phase 2 produced the best uh, individual movies, I think that that, uh, Phase 1 was the better phase. For me, yeah, that that definitely um, good thoughts. Uh, For me, Phase 2 is a mess, I think. Um, Now, when I say that, I think The Winter Soldier, for me, is my second favorite comic book movie of all time. And for me, is the number one rating uh, MCU film. Uh, I think it's the best by far. Uh, it, it's it, To me, it's got the most to think about. It's actually the one that stays with you the longest and bears the most repeated viewings, if you ask me. That's just my personal opinion. I, I think it's fantastic. Now, what's interesting is for me... Um, I'm on the opposite side of you, Mike. Uh, my top five is held by, in the middle there, three phase one films, Captain America, Iron Man, and Avengers. And so, um, yeah, phase uh, two for me is... is I I just don't... I don't love Guardians like everybody else does. To me, it's, it's, the, it's the quintessential popcorn film. It's there, and then it's gone. Um, and I, I just... I didn't appreciate it as much as everybody else did. Um, it's it's not bad. It's just it's not Captain America Winter Soldier. Um, and then, yeah, five, my fifth rated uh, MCU film is Ant-Man. So, you know, they, they did a good job. And on a whole, I think you absolutely, though, nailed Phase 2. I can't even say anything else about how you ranked it against Phase 1, Mike. Perfect. Um, yeah. That was, yeah, not going to say anything else because Mike was right about the cohesion and the, the difference between the two. Fantastic. Um, well, well, don't leave us hanging here. I mean, if Captain America, the Winter Soldier is your second favorite superhero Man movie of, of all time, what's your first? <laughs> it's Man of Steel. Yeah, it's Man of Steel. That's interesting. <laughs> I think everybody knows that if they've listened to the I, show. I, I didn't realize. I, I was thinking you were going to say the Donner <laughs> Superman, honestly. Just not, just knowing uh, you, I figured like you're yeah. going to say the Donner Superman. That That's a whole other conversation about how I feel about how the Donner films hold up now. Which is I, not at so, all? It, it's, it, we're going to have a whole okay. other conversation. About, I don't want to give it all away. Not at all. <laughs> to everyone, so high so. five. Um, no, I I still like I still uh, like them, but I don't I don't have the reverence <laughs> for them that everybody else does. Yeah, no, I I'm I'm with you, Mike. Though I don't have the reverence for them that everybody else does. I I don't think they're the e ching of superhero films. Right. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, Captain America is fantastic, and. You know, Age of Ultron and, uh, well, Thor The Dark World, let's just say, is my least favorite Marvel superhero movie. So, um, I guess just for the record, Ant-Man is number six on my on my list of... Yeah, nice. So I like that we all kind of have it in the same place. That's pretty impressive. Um, for a film that I think a lot of people came in and are like scratching their heads about. So that's, that's nice. Yeah, and like six out of 12 doesn't sound that great, but that's pretty high... I would say, I mean, like my 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 top three are are um, Winter Soldier, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Avengers. I don't see those changing very much. Um, the fact that it it got that high on my list is is surprise was a nice surprise for me. 
for you guys, Phase 3 is coming. Um, we've got Captain America Civil War, which is actually just really should just be called Avengers Civil War because everybody is in that movie and their dog in the kitchen sink and uh, you, anything else that they can throw in it. Uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> um, then we're going to get uh, Doctor Strange, Guardians, The Galaxy 2, Spider-Man, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War Part 1, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Avengers Infinity War Part 2, and Inhumans. Any of those for you guys just really standing out and you're like, oh, that's the one I'm super excited about. I feel like you would be able to guess, Mike, which ones I'm most excited for and which one I'm least excited for, but I'll go ahead and say it. Um, I'm most excited for Captain Marvel. Um, if and then also Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and then, oh my gosh, so excited for Civil War. Um, I am least excited for Spider-Man. Like, by a long shot. Yeah, me. I'm so bored of Spider-Man. Mike and I have had this discussion. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, like, I'm not a Spider-Man defender. I mean, like, I think that there has been, like, one legitimately great Spider-Man movie, and that's Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2. 2. You know, I mean, if you look at the first Spider-Man movie, that does not hold up. Spider-Man 3 is a piece of crap. Amazing (laughs) Spider-Man is a piece of crap. And Amazing Spider-Man 2 was okay, right? (laughs) And it's not like I'm a huge Spider-Man fan. All I was saying was, like, if you're going to stick Spider-Man into this Marvel Cinematic Universe, you you have one shot at this, and you can't make it some obscure random character who was created just because people were kind of sick and tired of Peter Parker. You know what I mean? That's all I was saying. But I'm with still that. sick and tired of Peter Parker. And that's perfectly <laughs> fine. Hey, we're all sick and tired yeah. of Peter Parker, yeah. I think. But, I mean, for me, I mean, like, uh, logically, I should be looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 the most. But, you know, I, I think maybe, and this is sort of like a thing. I think I, we were talking about this a few weeks ago somewhere else. But, you know, um, as much as there there is all this hype for these blockbusters and everything like that, when you make your top 10 at the end of the year, it's a, probably a 50-50 split between movies that you were anticipating and movies which you didn't even know existed until you walked in the theater, right? And I kind of get, like, on the Marvel Cinematic Universe scale, that latter category is where I would put Guardians of the Galaxy 2, right? We don't know the storyline. We don't know if it's going to have a a billion crossovers or anything. It's really kind of what Guardians of the Galaxy 1 was, was just a story about these random outsiders. And when I say outsiders, I mean outside of the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 should probably be just as good but we don't know anything about it aside from the fact that it's a sequel to guardians of the galaxy one whereas like civil war and infinity war and all these things like we know where they're going we know what they're doing and we know that it's going to be awesome and one of the main reasons for that too i think is the fact that the russo brothers are involved with the three big ones Mm-hmm. Oh yes. And mm, Russo brothers, yes. yay. They are amazing. They were amazing on Arrested Development with Judy Greer and they were amazing um on Captain America Winter Soldier and they weren't amazing with that uh uh that that movie. What was it called? Oh no. The one was with Owen Willard? Wilson and uh Kate Hudson. Uh doesn't matter. They Marley weren't amazing with that one. No, no, no. Um No, that's it, Jennifer Aniston. It doesn't matter. That that uh God 
we need to talk about someone. I don't know. That movie. Anyway, that wasn't good. But everything else. Community. Yeah, you, me, and Dupree. Else. You, good. me, and Dupree. There you go. That one. That, they, that, that was not very good. However, they have proven themselves. And I think that, you know, basically Phase 3, it looks like they're essentially the showrunners of Phase 3, right? I mean, they're going to be the Joss Whedons of Phase 3. And I have more faith in them than I do in Joss Whedon as much as I love Joss Whedon. And I think that they're going to turn out something awesome, you know? So, yeah. Captain America Civil War is definitely my number one thing. And it was I think it's everyone's number one thing to the point of when Avengers 2 was coming out, everyone was just like, yeah, 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 yeah. But what about Captain America 3? That's the one. That's where it's going to all, yeah. you know? And <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited. To be honest, I'm excited for most of them, um, except for Spider-Man. Uh, Black Panther, I think, is going to be interesting. Um, I, I'm curious about Inhumans, mostly because I'm interested to see how much Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to be connected with the Inhumans movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Phase 3 looks really, really interesting. Oh, gosh. Civil War for me, I mean, Captain America is my favorite Marvel character, and, you know, this is one of the quintessential stories for that character and I just love what they did with Winter Soldier and I think they're going to continue that trend of really making a film that has more to say than just entertain um, and I'm, I'm very excited to see that of course Infinity War Part 1 and 2 I'm very excited to see how that plays out like you said Mike because of the Russo brothers and uh, for me honestly the one that I'm most excited that's new is Doctor Strange because it's Benedict Cumberbatch and it's a very different type of character than we've seen in the Marvel Universe and I'm kind of excited to see the weird uh, uh, at this point. Um, And I'm hoping that it also feels different, like that it has a a more unique flavor to it as well. So we'll see. Um, That's the one for me that I'm pretty excited about. All the rest, eh, eh. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really have any strong feelings one way or the other. Maybe they will surprise um, you, like except Ant-Man. for Spider Man. Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of what I'm hoping for, Andy. That's exactly what I'm hoping for um, to have happen. I I kind of like that a lot of them I don't have a lot of knowledge about, so I can kind of go in and just sit down and see what they give me, and and that's always fun to me. So, and in fact, I'm actually trying to do the same thing with Civil War right now. I haven't been looking at the spoilers. I haven't been looking at the pictures because I want to go into the movie and I want to enjoy it. And um, so, yeah, that's a whole other, maybe a supplemental 602 about how we like to ruin the entire movie before we actually see it these days. And we keep talking about movies like episode eight news and we haven't even seen episode seven yet. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway. You guys, uh, final thoughts and and then kind of your Ant-Man rating. What would you rate Ant-Man? Uh, my final thought is that uh, um, Ant-Man is bank. If you get that, then you win. Um, I would say <laughs> Ant-Man is about a three-and-a-half star movie on a four-star scale. Uh, yeah, uh, a really, really solid. You know, as, as uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has... Uh, been since the beginning so yeah definitely check it out 
I would agree with Mike on my rating of three and a half out of four. Um, and just in general, I just, I just think it's a really fun movie. Like, um, seeing it in theaters is always cool to kind of see how other people react to it. And the people in my theater definitely really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a good movie. I think it'll hold up on rewatching it. Um, I have a few minor quibbles with it, which we discussed, but other than that, I am pleasantly surprised that it worked as well as it did. Cause as I said, I was, I was, a. uh, I wouldn't say that I was, like, expecting it to be bad or anything. It, it just it seemed like an odd choice to me. So I'm glad that it paid off. I'm, I'm with you guys. Um, Ant-Man, it, it's a lot of fun. Um, I don't think there's anything really revolutionary in it. Um, I don't think it's going to blow a lot of people away, you know, like, oh, that's the best comic book movie ever. But I, I think it's really saved by amazing performances from the actors who really sell these roles and and fantastic they just own the roles and i love when actors i feel like do that especially in a comic book character film and i also think that the themes in the movie um make it stand above some of the other marvel films and because of that and this is a three star out of out of five for me um and i Again, this is the on my list of all the Marvel films, all 12. This is number five. So um, I'm very happy to see uh, this movie really surprise me. And I love when that happens. And there's, there's no better uh, joy than, I, I think, going to the movies and just being pleasantly surprised, um, especially in this day and age. So, uh, but, you know, Ant-Man is not the only thing that we have been talking about here on Trek FM the past week. And so here's a quick look at some of the other things you might have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. So now we're going to have to spend like a half an hour talking about these Star Trek comics when I could be reading Star Wars comics. Yes. I hope the listeners appreciate... The sacrifices that we're making to bring this moderately entertaining podcast to them. Earl Grey. We divide the ship into one of two ways. Port goes to port. I better not see any starboard guys on the starboard phaser target practice. You guys know which side of the ship you're on. The orb. Also, the original title of this episode was A Matter of Breeding, which when we talk about things feeling TNG-ish, that could have been a Riker episode. (laughs) The Ready Room It's about people and feelings and emotions It's about philosophy It's about the future It's about hope It's about glory It's about intellectual promise That's what Axnar is about It is not a story about Pew 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 I promise you that To the journey Well, you telling me that I need to make love to this alien woman or she's going to die? Well, (laughs) for king and country, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right, only on Star Trek. Warp 5. I remember watching Broken Bow when Enterprise first debuted when I was in high school. I remember revisiting it now in full, and I had forgotten the fact that Future Guy had actually played an integral role from the get-go with Silic and the Sulaban, which we'll talk about later in the show. Commentary, Trek stars. But you would never pick up on that based on the way that it plays out, aside from the fact that they explicitly tell you in the dialogue, you know? The 602 Club. The prequels are 
the most autobiographical uh, works that Lucas has done. Because if you follow Anakin's arc, he comes onto the scene, nobody's seeing him coming, and then he's a wonderkind, but he doesn't know what to do with it, and he's overwhelmed and feels a bit trapped. Literary treks. Deep Space Nine, among all the Star Trek series, is the one that really over time, and I'm talking about now on the television series, not just in the books, changed the most. Axonar, the official podcast. It is the spirit of TOS that matters that's being captured, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969 that had its moment, it had its time, and there's a certain amount of charm still to that. But it doesn't allow you to push the narrative forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back, in my opinion. Women at Warp. My absolute favorite thing about this episode is that this is a love potion only if it's between a man and a woman. They make it explicitly clear that if you touch two men or two women, they just become really good friends. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. You can check out these shows, find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and, of course, in the MCU. And you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And you know if you're an Apple user, just hit that subscribe button. Definitely helps us out uh, rise in those iTunes rankings as well as giving us star ratings and reviews right now. Uh, I'm very excited to say we are a five-star podcast with the 27 ratings we've had. So add your voice to that. Give us a star rating and review. We'd love to have that. If you're not an Apple user, you can get the shows everywhere. I mean, we're talking about Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. Uh, you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website. And, of course, you can grab the RSS link and drop that into any podcatcher out there. Um one of the most important things for you guys as listeners to know is that we are a listener-supported network, and you can check us out at patreon.com slash trekfm where you can find out how you can keep all of this content coming to you each and every week. Uh, we do have some goals that we're trying to reach, the milestone contribution levels, some great perks for you. Um, we've got early access to content. My associate producer gets the show early every week as well as some exclusive content like, uh, well, you wouldn't know because you're not getting it. It's the things that I might cut out of the show that actually happen to be really funny. Um, he gets a copy of that, Ken Tripp does. So that's one of the things you can do. You can also get producer credits, seats on the content development team. You could be a part of the Patreon roundtables that we've been doing with will win these days all of these things that you could be a part of and we'd love to have you as part of the team so just check everything out at patreon.com slash trek fm and i do want to say a special thanks to ken trip because uh he helps bring this show to each week and um his support has meant the world to me he's a great guy and so i really appreciate that if you would like to contact us guys you can contact us just about anywhere trek.fm slash contact is a great place to do that send us your thoughts on ant-man i'd love to hear what the listeners are thinking about ant-man or any of the other marvel movies get send us your ratings for the marvel films that would be great as well you could leave us a voicemail uh you can look in the sidebar on our show page at trek.fm or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm we're on twitter at trek.fm we're also on facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and of course the babel conference which is our listeners only discussion group and if you'd like to join just 
type Babel into the search field on Facebook, or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. And we have some of the best discussions anywhere, I think, online. And it's uh, very respectful, a lot of fun. And we're talking about all the things we talk about on the 602 Club. And then, of course, we have 20 different shows on the network. So just visit trekfm.com and see all the different shows that we have that you might not be listening to. And in fact, my illustrious friends here who have joined me in the 602 actually have some of those amazing shows on the network. Andy, tell everybody where they can find you online and uh, about um, your show here on the network. I'm a co-host of Women at Warp, um, which is for women Star Trek fans talking all things Star Trek. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting my first time through Star Trek, and I'm currently watching Matt's favorite show, DS9. Woohoo! <laughs> Best Star Trek show ever. Oh, you want me to go? Sorry. Okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. All right, okay. Uh, Mike, go, 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 go. <laughs> well, you can find me right here on the network doing commentary Trek stars and that five-star podcast michael Mike, three and a half but Mike, you know you whatever, know john whatever, wants me to I mean, remind you, you know, um and uh standard orbit and you can also find me on my website commentary doing commentary track stars off topic and commentary track star babies if i ever get around to it and you can also find me on twitter at mumbles 3k well guys uh you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can find me on Instagram at MRushing. I'll, I'll put things on there for the 602 Club and other Star Trek things and eh, we're just random things that I find, like food, because that's what we do on Instagram. Uh, you can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. And honestly, uh, it's a great place to be because um, even if you're not a Deep Space Nine fan, we're going to talk you into being a Deep Space Nine fan because that's what we do. And you can also find me on Literary Treks with Dan, where we are talking about the books and the comics of Star Trek. We interview the authors. It's a blast there. I hope you'll join us, and and maybe we can help you find your place in the Star Trek literary universe. And then my own personal blog at uh, 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com, and you'll find my reviews for movies and books and other things that just might not fit here uh in this uh trek fm format so we'll really appreciate you joining us and y'all come back now you hear 